Well, good morning. If you're visiting with us today, I would just like to welcome you and extend the pastor's greetings. Our pastor is not with us today. He's on his way to a North American Mission Board meeting, and he would love to be here with you, and especially if you're visiting, he would encourage you to come back uh, and hear the first stringer, okay? <laughs> hey, in my Bible reading last year, I came across a passage, and I just mentioned to the pastor, I said, Pastor, next time I get the opportunity to preach, the Lord has given me this verse to share with my family. You are my family. The only thing that I did not know that in God's sovereignty and his timing, that for some of you, you're going to get a double dose. Our pastor is leading a Bible study Wednesday night, verse by verse, through the book of Hebrews. And guess where he landed last Wednesday night? He landed on the verse that I'm going to share with you today. Now, the pastor and I, we talked about this overlap. We talked about, you know, what he was going to say, what I was going to say. And he encouraged me to go on because I'm sincere. I believe the Lord has laid this message on my heart for Cuyahoga First Baptist. See, we're going to look at the book of Hebrews. If you will, turn to Hebrews chapter 2. And this book has two purposes. It's to encourage Christians to endure and, then, and to warn them to not abandon their faith. And this is repeated five times. So, you know, hey, when my wife says something to me five times, I think it's important. I should have got the message the second time, right? Well, in the book of Hebrews, God inspires the author to write this warning five times to encourage faithfulness, love, and sound doctrine. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. Right there at the end of this passage is a word that jumped out to me. It's the word drift. Now, if you know anything about me, you know some of my interests. I'm a, I'm a fisherman. And he uses this word right here, parareo. It's a Greek word, and it means to drift away from belief right here. But in the mind of the first century reader, the recipient of this letter, it also painted a picture of a boat floating away or slipping away. And see, that's what's resonated in my heart. I'm a fisherman. And I especially love to fish on rivers, any body of water that has a current. I love to fish on the Buffalo and the Tennessee River below the dam, okay? The flood area. That's where I love to fish. And you'll just be drifting along. And I can, when I hear that word, I can envision me on the water and I'm looking at a spot that I want to cast to and I'm getting ready to cast and before I even can throw my cast I drift on by I've missed the target and another passion of mine is whitewater rafting I grew up in God's country this I know this is an extension of it but God's country is the Appalachian Mountains and I grew up right off the Okoye River and I rafted it for many years and see, what's important is drifting can be dangerous because we get to a place 
where we shouldn't be. And see, it, it occurs for many different reasons. I'm going to share with you real briefly why you drift in a boat. First one is inertia. Here, okay, here's your physics lesson. A body in motion stays in motion unless something is done to correct it. We drift in life, and sometimes we're going to stay in that motion because we have to have some correction. The next factor is outside our control is the wind. Strong winds push against the boats, creating a sideway force that oppose, opposes the desired turn. Now, one of the things is my body is such that I actually, actually act like a sail when I'm on a boat, okay? The third factor outside our control is current. Currents influence a boat's movement, making it more difficult to make a precise turn. And the last one is resistance. Drag is created from a boat's surface and it makes it harder to maneuver. Now, that word drift grabbed my attention because I could relate to that. Being pushed aside in a boat, the wind pushing me one way, a current pushing me another. It grabbed me because of my experience. But here's what really grabbed me. It grabbed me because of what I'm seeing today. When I look around, I see people, individuals, and families drifting. Not in a boat, but in their spiritual life. I see people who may be moving unknowingly, passively, or aimlessly in a direction that is not positive and could even be dangerous. This is what D.A. Carson said in his book, For the Love of God. People do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate towards godliness, prayer and obedience to the scripture, faith and delight in the Lord. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of a lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. We slide towards godliness, godlessness, and convince ourselves we have been liberated. We have a natural propensity to drift away from God. And so here's the title of this message, and this is your takeaway. Here's my encouragements, a nautical term, stay the course. I believe that God has a purpose and a direction for every one of us in this room. And he wants to put us in a position to be used for his glory and to be blessed by him. And if we want to be in that position, we have to intentionally stay the course. If we're going to be the follower in Christ, he intends us to be. We must we must maintain our life's direction, our commitment, and our resolve to being more like Jesus. And here's the difference. In a boat, the influences that cause you to drift are outside of your control. I can't control the wind. I can't control the current. But I believe sincerely that the influences that are causing us to drift spiritually are totally in our control. So here are some of the reasons I think that we are drifting, that 
individuals and families are drifting away from what God is intending for their lives. The first one is one I think we can all relate to, an out-of-control schedule. One of the weapons that Satan is using today is busyness. He's using it against families. We often sacrifice the best things in life by spending too much time on those things that are just pretty good. If your destination that you seek for your family or yourself is to be close to God, and if you don't want to drift away from them, the first thing you have to do absolutely is to look at your calendar. Right now, many of you are probably thinking about what you may have to do today, this week. I'm no different. Things this morning, <laughs> Satan has had the opportunity to use things in my life to make me think about the busyness that I need to be about rather than him. But see, that's not what God wants for us. In fact, in Psalms 46.10, he says, be still and know that I'm God. We drift because we have an overly hectic schedule. We drift because we have an out-of-control schedule. The next reason we drift is because we have misplaced affections. 1 John 2.15 tells us, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Too often we set our hearts on things that really don't matter. Too many times I have seen good people lured away from church because they have fallen in love with things that don't matter eternally. It can be recreation, it can be lake, it can be sports, it can be dance, it can be hunting, it can be, uh-oh, better watch this one, it can be fishing. There's a time in my life I had to really think about fishing's priority in my life. See, these things can adversely affect our spiritual involvement and the development of our families. And if they do, pull the plug. Pull the plug. We drift because we have misplaced affections. We drift away from God because of materialism. We are so blessed to live in this country. As Americans, we have freedom to worship and we have so many opportunities. But if you're, a, and if you're an American, you know you're a one percenter. And you know what that is? You're richer than 99% of the world. But you, let's be honest. You probably don't feel that way, do you? You know why? It's because you look at your neighbor and you see a better car. You look at your neighbor and you see a better boat. You look at your neighbor, you see a second home. 1 Timothy 6.10 tells us, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. As in the garden, Saint, Satan will point us as he did Eve, to what looks desirable and seems out of reach. And it's not to give us what we want. It's to destroy us. His plan is that prosperity and abundance will lure us away from God. 
We drift because we fall prey to materialism. And the final reason people will drift from God is the power of a parasitic sin. Parasitic sin, that's that's an unusual word. It's a sin that indwells in you and eats away at you. If you're a follower of Christ, you're a sinner saved by grace. You're not perfect, but you're in the process of sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. But unfortunately for some of us, there is a sin that exists in our life that acts like a parasite. It feeds off what we take in, destroys us, and takes the life out of us. I'm talking about the sins of pornography, substance abuse, gambling, gossip, prejudice, hatred, jealousy, lying, wrong desires, wrong thoughts, pride, and so on and so on. It's any sin that you nurture and allow to take control of your life and just feed off your spiritual life to drain you. The solution here, though, is not to continue. That's dysfunction. Dysfunction is the practice of staying in the sort of environment that is destructive and not taking the corrective natures that you need to do. But the Bible tells us if in 1 John 1, 9, if we can confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We drift because of parasitic sins. We drift because of uncontrolled schedules, misplaced affection, and materialism. And you know what makes them so dangerous? It is how slowly and methodically they take over our lives. William William Barclay wrote, For most of us, the threat of life is not so much that we should plunge into disaster, but that we should drift into sin. There are few people who deliberately and in a moment turn their backs on God. There are many who day by day drift further and further away from him. There are, many, there are not many who in one moment of time commit some disastrous sin. There are many who almost imperceptibly involve themselves into some situation and suddenly awake to find that they have ruined their life for themselves and broken someone else's heart. He concludes with this. We must continually be on alert against the peril of the drifting life. So if we're going to stay the course, what can we do? Let's look now at the what we can do, why we can do it, and how we can do it on staying the course. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. What should we do? Focus on the gospel. Focus on the gospel. Put your eyes on Jesus. If we want to stay the course, we have to keep our eyes on him. He's here, the writer of Hebrews. He's pointing back to chapter 1. 
And in that chapter, he reminded the readers that God had spoken to mankind through Jesus and that there was no message greater than the gospel. And the writer of Hebrews was concerned that readers appeared ready to desert Jesus for some trifling replacement. He uses a word, pros echo, which means to give heed to, to pay attention to, to turn one's minds to, to what you have heard. He's saying, remember what you've been taught to recall the truths that you have learned. Why did he say that? Well, for some of us, it's easy for us to take our eyes off of things. I drive my wife crazy when we drive back to Georgia. I've shared this story before. We go back to Georgia. I go through Huntsville. I go through North Alabama, North Mississippi. I stay away from 40. And as I'm driving, I'm looking at the Tennessee River whenever it appears. I'm looking at the soybean fields. My eyes are everywhere. I'm turning my eyes off. I got to get them back so I don't drive her crazy. But here's a spiritual reason, okay? Some of us suffer from spiritual amnesia. We come to church, we worship, we start getting all fired up for God. We get fired up by the truth of God and we leave ready to take on the world for Jesus. But then the world hits us. It might be a day later, it might be two hours later. Or for some of us, it may even be before we get out of the parking lot when we're trying to put the children in the car seats, okay? We lose our religion at that moment. Can I get an amen? We forget the truths we've heard because the world has hit us and we slip back into that same old spiritual rut. With spiritual amnesia, we forget the depths of the gospel and all of its implications for our life. See, the gospel is the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. The gospel includes his incarnation, his perfect life that he lived for us that qualified him to be our savior. It includes his sacrificial death in our place and his resurrection from the grave. These truths of the gospel are essential for our salvation. And it is through faith in Christ that we are safe. But see, the gospel wasn't just relevant for me on May 16th, 1965. You say, why that day? That's the day as a young boy, I became aware of my sins and my separation from God. And I repented and I placed my faith in Jesus. The gospel was very relevant that day. But you know what? It's relevant today when our new dog continues to make a mess on the rug. <laughs> it's relevant in how I respond in that situation. Can I glorify him? See, it's relevant for every moment of the day. It should impact our daily lives. It should impact how we act at work and at home how we interact with our neighbors and even that neighbor that drives you crazy. The gospel is relevant. See, the gospel is what gives us hope in the hard times and it's what gives us the strength to go on. So what should we do? If we're gonna stay the course, we should focus on the gospel. Then here's our next question. 
Why should we focus on the gospel? What makes it so important? What makes it so essential? Let's look back to our text, picking up in verse 2. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who had heard. There are two words here that tell us why we should focus on the gospel that resonated with me. The first is because the gospel, the word of God, is unalterable. This is the Greek word babayas, which means certain, sure, guaranteed, trustworthy, dependable, reliable, firm. The word of God is firm, it's reliable. Psalms 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. 2 Peter 1, 20-21 tells us that our view of Scripture is irrelevant because it's truth. It says, but know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoken from God. It's unalterable because it comes from God. It's unalterable because it's been tested. Proverbs 35, every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. The gospel is perfect. It is sure. It is set. It is tested. The next word is found in verse 3. We should believe the, the gospel because it has been confirmed. This is the Greek word, bibiothai, which means to have been verified or cause something to be known as certain. See, the good news of the gospel, unlike what some people would tell you, is not a myth. It's not just another Superman story. It's not a part of Greek mythology. There are eyewitnesses to the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel record events were recorded by writers who had either firsthand knowledge or were acquainted with someone who had firsthand knowledge. See, on uh, Sunday morning, our pastor is leading us through the gospel of John. And here's what John says. John 21, 24. This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things. And we know that this testimony is true. John is saying right here, everything I've written down, all the miracles, all the I am statements, look, I'm laying my word down. This is true, because I saw it. Luke begins his gospel by declaring that it was based on the account of eyewitnesses. Luke chapter one, verses one and two. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us. Just as they were handed down to us by those from the beginning, they were eyewitnesses and servants of the Lord. These are eyewitnesses account which have proved consistent, reliable, and verifiable. But see, how do you know an eyewitness 
is legit? Are they willing to stand by their testimony when tested? See, these eyewitnesses suffered persecution, cruel treatment, even death for their testimony of the good news of Jesus Christ. They were willing to be crucified upside down. They were willing to be persecuted because they wanted to make sure people knew that Jesus had come to live the perfect life, die on the cross, and be resurrected so that we could have the forgiveness of sins, so that our relationship could be restored, that he is the answer. He's the way, the truth, and life that no man comes to the Father but by Jesus. They died for that. And here's what's sad. Are we living for it? Are we living for the gospel? The gospel was verified by those who were willing to risk their life. So if we're going to stay the course, we need to focus on the gospel. Because the gospel is perfect, it is sure, it is set, and it is tested. We need to focus on the gospel because the gospel has been verified by those who risked their lives to share it. So, here, so we've talked about the what and the why. So now, how do we stay the course? How do we stay the course? It's quite simple. It's the fundamentals. Baseball, I know we have a lot of people who love baseball. My brother, I have a twin brother. I hope that doesn't shock anybody. Um, thinking of two Sams in this world might, might have shocked somebody. My twin brother, he loves baseball so much. He goes down every year to spring training. He cannot wait to go to spring training. And you know what they do in spring training? These are professionals who make a lot of money hitting a little ball. You know what they do? They work in spring training on the fundamentals. Maybe we should learn that lesson. We're going to review some fundamentals right now. These are, these are basic, okay? And if it's worth repeating in baseball, I think it's worth repeating here. The first one is spend time with God. Wow, was that alarming? Spend time with God. If you want to stay the course, spend time with God. Ephesians 5, 15 through 16. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. One translation says, redeem the time. You know, buy it back with a purpose. Look at your calendar. Do that this afternoon. Look at your calendar. Do, us, do an honest assessment of how much time you're giving God. Now, you're giving God right now some time. That's great. But let me just tell you, once a week does not work. My exercise routine proves once a week does not work. <laughs> that hurts me that y'all agreed with that. So, exactly. <laughs> excitedly once a week does not work do an honest assessment how do you spend time with God 
Here's one of the first things you need to do. Pretty simple. It's the fundamentals. Spend time with God. Next, read and study his word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 70. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. God has given, given us his word. We don't have to try to figure out what he wants, what he is saying, because he's given it to us right here. He spoke in Jesus and he continues to speak in his word. And this book right here, Old Testament, New Testament. Old Testament shows us our beginning and our purpose. We were created for God and his glory. It shows us what the problem of this world is and it's sin. And it shows that we need a savior. And then guess what? It doesn't leave the story incomplete. It gives us the New Testament, which tells us the biography of Jesus. It gives us his teaching, his healing, his preaching. And it doesn't stop there. He gives us the epistles. And in the epistles, we have men who knew Jesus, who encountered him, maybe on the road to Damascus or maybe for three years in their life. And they say, Jesus taught this and here's why it's important. See, reading God's word helps us to grow to love him more and more and more. It's not about knowledge, it's about heart. Reading God's word is what will help you appreciate him, love him, worship him, serve him. And if we wanna grow more like him, we've gotta be in his word. Spend time with God, read his word, and the last one, oh, this one is really out there. Pray, pray, pray. Pray, pray, pray. Prayer changes everything. Prayer changes us. Now look, if you have this thought that your prayer life is necessarily going to change God's mind, I'm sorry. He has the plan. He's sovereign. He's in control. And we're to join in with his plan. And here's what prayer does. It changes my attitude towards his plan. It gets me in line with his plan. But prayer doesn't change only me. Prayer changes life. One of the prayer that changes life is the sinner's prayer. Where we repent and place our faith in Jesus. And instead of heading towards a destination far from God, we start heading towards him. Prayer changes us. Prayer changes life. Prayer changes history. The great awakenings, the great movements, many times were caused by Kai's because people prayed. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Isaiah 59, 1, behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor in his, is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. Pray about your out of control schedule. Pray about your misplaced affections. Pray about your love for money and things. Pray about the parasitic sins in your life. In your prayers, ask God to take the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and to conform you into the image of His Son to help you stay on course. God wants us to stay on course because drifting is so dangerous. Earlier I shared with you, they've got the picture up in front of you, in front of me. They're going to show it with you now. I told you I like to raft. This is a picture of me, my wife, Melinda, 
Richard and Carmen Kelsey. We're on the Okoy River. I'm celebrating my 60th birthday. Man, I, this is one of the things, my wife asked me what I want for my birthday. I said, I wanna go rafting. We, and so we went, I've been rafting for 40 years, but this day is a little different. As we're going down the river, we entered a rapid incorrectly. Melinda, Richard and I were thrown from the boat. As I came out of the water, my first thought was to help my wife, Richard secondly, Richard, if you're here, I'm sorry, you're lowering the priority. <laughs> and the oars were third. I'm trying to get them back in the boat. And as Richard and Melinda are climbing back in the boat, I'm feeling pretty good. I look up and we have a guide. You see, him in the back, see her in the back. And I look at the guide and her eyes get this big and her mouth drops. And I know what that means. I'm getting ready to be baptized. Not up there, but in the Okoy River. And I knew that I was in a precarious position. The name of this rapid is called Washing Machine. The reason it's named Washing Machine is its hydraulic motion turns you up and down. So I know I'm getting ready to go in this rapid. I do what I've been trained to do. I had swam through rapids in the past, intentionally, not accidentally. But I knew what to do. You grab your hands, you lace them under your knees, you point your feet downstream. So I do that and I get sucked into the rapid and it turns me up and down. The first thing I feel is my bottom on the bottom of the river. And then it turns me back up. And fortunately it turns me up and I'm able to grab a breath. And it does this several times over and over again. Finally, I turn to the Lord and I say, are you taking me home today? I'm serious. I, I, I didn't know what he was going to do. But fortunately, like Jonah spit out, was spit out by the well, the washing machine spit me out. Here's the point of the story. This is a true story. I was safe in that raft. But when I got in a position where the current, something outside of my control, caused me to drift, I was in danger. And this is what the Word of God is telling us today. That if we don't stay the course, we are putting ourselves in a spiritually dangerous position. If we don't stay the course, our lives may be broken by an out-of-control schedule, misplaced affections, materialisms, and the parasitic sins in our life. So how do we stay the course? We need to focus on the gospel because the gospel is perfect, it is sure, it is set, it is tested. We need to focus on the gospel because the gospel has been verified by those who have risked their lives to share it. I'm gonna ask our staff and our worship team to come right now. And we're gonna take a moment to respond to God's word. So here's how you can respond. Right now, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, I've asked you to do an assessment of your life. The word of God has asked you to do an assessment. What I would like you to do is pray. Ask God to help you stay the course. Ask him to help you focus on the gospel. Ask him to help you get control of your time, your talents, your resources. Ask him 
Ask them if there's anything hidden in your life that you need to repent of. And come to the altar or you can do it in your seat. But here's the thing I really am concerned about. There are some people who have never charted their course to Jesus. Right now they're heading the wrong direction. It's because they've never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, believed in his atoning life, death, and resurrection. And let me tell you, when you drift, when you drift, look at me over here, when you drift, your drifting is not gonna lead you into a, a rapid. Your drifting is gonna lead you into a lake of fire. I'm serious. There is a place called hell. And our spiritual drifting, if we have never charted our course on Jesus, where we're gonna end up is the lake, but a lake of fire. And all you have to do is respond. Right now, you may even be feeling something pull you. That's the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin in your life. And what you have to do, if you've never charted your course, you've never confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior, you need to repent and believe and come down here and speak to one of our staff and let them help you in this most important decision. Let's pray. Father, we come right now, we praise you. You are great, you are good, you are holy, you're awesome. Lord, I pray that in this time, we will truly examine our lives with your word and allow the Holy Spirit to guide us into our response. For some, it is to join the church. For some, it's to get control of their schedule. Some, to love you more than something else. But for some, it's to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Work right now in Christ's name.